Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quilla. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back to another July adventure in history. How's it going? It's good. This might be a little bit of a hodgepodge show. Ooh, I like hodgepodge. We have things that were brought up before. Yes. And we're closing the gap. Yes. We're we closing we, the we kind of say that often, don't we? We say, oh, we, we should we should look into that. We Exactly. So you did. I did. So on we, a topic. So a, a couple of topics. Oh, a couple. Okay. One was just kind of offhandedly commented on a while ago. Okay. And we just had great guests and, and other things. The other one was just like three weeks ago. Yeah. So. Okay. Shall we get right to it, though? Let's do it. July 10th. These are things tomorrow. Okay. 1040. Whoa. <laughs> I love, I wish we were like videoing this or. Cause or, I always have the same expression. Yes. Right? Like, Cause you're like, wow, what's he doing what there? Cause, gonna... Cause you know, I just, I, I'm American centrist. I fully yes. embrace and, and, and <laughs> allow that, that, that that's my main interest. So 1040, unless I'm doing some native American True. thing, it's going to be a little weird that yep. I'm interested in this, <laughs> but this one jumped out at me. 1040 lady Godiva. Ooh. Rides naked on horseback through Coventry, <laughs> according to legend, to force her husband, the Earl of Mercia, to lower taxes. That's what it took. Apparently. Riding <laughs> naked on a horse. Okay, well. <laughs> so I'm not a horse rider. I was thrown off of a horse when I was like eight at a kid's birthday party. And then I like went swirling off the back of the horse. Aww. I was just in a corral. And then the horse turned around and he didn't kick at me, but he like kind of like jumped up on his back legs. Yeah. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Sure. So I've never ridden horses. I like cowboys. I like Old West stuff. Yes. I don't hate horses, but I've not gotten back on that horse. <laughs> but it seems like it'd be very uncomfortable riding a horse naked. Yes. <laughs> Just to lower taxes. I mean, couldn't you just have a conversation? Or a sign. <laughs> right. Okay. So anyway. Um, and is that where the chocolates came from? I, I was wondering Godiva? if that's the name. I yeah. don't... Uh, maybe we'll have to research that. There we go. 1777. So this is a, a bit of a story I have to tell for okay. this one. It's a uh, rude awakening for a redcoat general. It was a revolutionary era stealth operation worthy of the Navy SEALs and a mortifying blow to British prestige. In the early morning hours of July 10th, 1777, Rhode Island Patriot Colonel William Barton and a band of about 40 men silently made their way across Narragansett Bay, teeming at the time with British warships. Then, after overcoming a century, the men slipped into the house occupied by the British general, Richard Prescott, and surprised, surprised him in his bed. They had come to snatch him away. Gentlemen, one of the raiders recorded Prescott exclaiming, your business requires haste, but do, for God's sakes, let me get my clothes. <laughs> by God, it is no time for clothes, Barton responded, after which the half-naked captive was led away and shoved aboard one of the waiting boats. Miraculously, the kidnappers made it back across the bay without a shot being fired. He is not much regretted, the British official Ambrose Searle remarked of Prescott's loss. How insulting is that? Yeah. Nevertheless, the captured general, literally stripped of his dignity, was later exchanged for an American general, Charles Lee, who, ironically enough, had been taken by the British the previous December wearing only his nightgown. Oh. 
even more embarrassing to General Prescott, this was not his first time being taken care uh, taken prisoner. The same thing happened two years earlier in Canada. Oh, interesting. They won't even let him put his clothes on. Well, I would say at that point, after the it happening already, bef- I mean, you should have you should know ahead of time. Just yeah, sleep, sleep in a your, different room or sleep with your clothes on. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, I don't know. I just like that story. 1777. Okay. 1778, American Revolution. Louis XVI, or XVI as I call him, <laughs> of France declares war on the Kingdom of Great Britain. Mm. I was almost going to have that as the history highlight. That's a big one. Because I think as you're aware, and loyal listeners are aware, I'm a keen uh, uh, observer and keen advocate that the French kind of saved our butts. <laughs> By coming in on the war on our side, it made us legitimate. Uh, 1890, Wyoming becomes the 44th state of the U.S. Welcome to the party. First with female suffrage. Oh. Way to go, Wyoming. Way to go. Uh, 1892, the first concrete paved street built. What year again? 1892. Okay. Doesn't that seem early for a paved street? There's not a lot of cars. Right. It's in uh, Bellefontaine, Ohio. Oh, interesting. I wonder what was going on there. Uh, 1930. Oh, I learned a, a fun fact. Speaking of Ohio, because like Goodyear is there or something. Who makes more tires than any other company in the world? What company makes the most tires? This is going to be a trick question. A little bit, but I just mentioned Goodyear. That's what made me think of it. Firestone. See, that would be my guess if it wasn't Goodyear. Lego. Because they make little tires for all their toys. So is it number of tires? Yes. Number of tires. Yes. Oh, Makes more tires than anybody else. Oh, that's Lego. great. That's a fun one. Isn't that uh, your yeah. fun fact for the day? It's brought to you yes. by Keegan Rasko. I going to say uh, fun dad fact. <laughs> uh, let's see. 1934, the first U.S. sitting president to visit South America. FDR goes to Columbia. Nice. Uh, 1940, the Battle of Britain begins. 1960, Belgium sends troops to Congo. Making Billy Joel's song perfect. Belgium's in the Congo. Uh, 1925, though, our history highlight of the day, I think, I think had the most impact on history. The Scopes Monkey Trial begins. In Dayton, Tennessee, the so-called Scopes Monkey Trial begins with John Thomas Scopes, a young high school science teacher accused of teaching evolution in violation of a Tennessee state law. So there we go. And how, how much have we progressed since that time, <laughs> shall we say? Two steps forward, one step back? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Still working on it, folks. Are we going to go back to our book banning I know. Uh, session? Go listen to our book ban podcast if you want to really hear what Mac and you, I think know, about information. A little bit of a rant without naming names. I am stunned at national political figures, be they senators or congresspeople, do they not have any kind of historian on their staffs? Oh, not likely. When they when they tweet things that are so <laughs> obviously ignorant of history, <laughs> it always stuns me. I'm like, did you not? Is there nobody that looked at this before you hit send or tweet or whatever you do? Well, I hate to break it to you, but likely they aren't sending it either. It's likely a staffer, right? Probably marketing somebody. But they're still the ones that look like like it's true ignorant. Yeah. They hired that person. Ignorant fools. Yeah. Anyway. We all need editors, right? <laughs> <laughs> so something we mentioned, um, I don't know how long ago, but we said something about the uh, the the home bakery and that we miss the home yes, bakery. Yes, of course. And I realized that um, we had a Cumtux article by Ingrid Bocher. Uh, I didn't write down the year, but I think it was like five or ten years ago. Okay. 
So we thought we would share a little bit of the information, the history of Home Bakery that we have lost. Home Baking Company, a Finnish bakery established in 1910 in Astoria, was the beginning of a historic family-run business that lasted more than 100 years. Four generations worked in and for the bakery. It began with traditions, recipes, and hope. These were the ingredients of perseverance in a small-town bakery. Two immigrants, Arthur A. Talander and Elmer Wallow, came from Finland to join Charles Jarvanen, who had some money to invest, and they became partners. Arthur, born in Turi, Finland in 1884, immigrated to Chicago in 1909. He moved to Astoria the next year and immediately opened the bakery with his other partners. The bakery got busier, and so more family came from Finland. One member was Arthur's brother, Ilmari Rudolf Alhomaki. Please excuse our... Wow, you said that really well. Our incorrect, possibly, of, of these Finnish names. But Elmari boarded the SS Titanic in April 1912, and his fate was sealed. He never made it to America. Elmari's name is still listed among those who died. He was only 19 years old. This was a tough time for the family, yet only the beginning of many events that would follow in the bakery's story. A year after Arthur had lost his little brother, he married Elizabeth Pudas. They had two children, Helen and Arthur Talander. Arthur H., because yes. he was Arthur, uh, Arthur A. Hey. In 1915, the bakery moved to Uppertown. The name changed from Finnish Home Baking to Home Baking Company. The building the home bakery occupied, where most of us uh, remember it, was built in 1929. Fire had destroyed the original bakery. The partners rebuilt and moved on. In March of 1939, Charles Jarvanen sold his financial interest in the business. Elmer Wallow and Arthur Tillander remained partners, although Elmer was named manager. A year later, Arthur A. Tillander passed away after working on another business. His dream was to have a Finnish sauna in Portland to expand his financial outlook and to provide security for his family, while still continuing with the home baking company. In 1941, when Elmer Wallow died, the newspaper reported, Elmer Wallow dies in fall from home. Jim Tillander remembers his father, Arthur H., saying that it was a mysterious death. Hmm. In 1945, flames raced through the bakery, burning up most of the stockpile of supplies and charring the equipment. Two upstairs apartments were completely destroyed. One belonged to Mr. and Mrs. Willard Wallow, the second to Mrs. Tillander. Arthur H. Tillander graduated from Dunwoody Bakery School and continued in his father's footsteps. I don't know why I like that name. Dunwoody Bakery School. It sounds like a happy place. It does. Arthur was 25 years old when his father died, and being a baker gave him... uh, a deferral from serving in World War II. He received a contract from the Navy to bake for the base here in Astoria, thus keeping the bakery afloat through the war. It was a very hard time for the family. In 1958, Arthur changed the focus of the business to produce an old Finnish cinnamon toast recipe. All other baked goods stopped. This helped make a living for the family for several years, and in 1960, he went back to bakery items. Jim Tillander remembered, I remember for four or five years my father selling goods to a Floyd Peterson who ran the Columbia River Packers Association. His job was running Finnish food up the river. He was a very important supplier of pickled herring, rye tack, and cinnamon toast from the bakery. The toast was kept in wooden boxes. Arthur H. Tillander died in Astoria at 91 years of age in 2007. Home bakery withstood multiple family deaths fires, and more. Fred Meyer, Costco, and Safeway all had bakeries, yet somehow Home Bakery continued. Uh, It continued to deliver specialty items unattainable anywhere else. 
For hundreds of years, Finnish housewives made a sweet coffee bread in a loaf. After a few days, that bread was no longer fresh. They would slice the bread and toast it so it would not spoil. Home baking company made cinnamon toast, Corpus, starting in 1910. Astoria's large Scandinavian population provided great demand. It was a popular item on the early fishing fleets from Astoria to Alaska because it would not spoil. Originally packed in those wooden barrels and sold in bulk, it eventually was made available in five-pound boxes so that every home in Astoria and every gillnet boat had a box. Okay, did, were you a fan of the cinnamon toast? I loved the cinnamon toast. Did you? Oh, yes. See, I didn't. Oh, interesting. I like their maple bars. <clears throat> well, oh, of course. maple bars were to die for. Yes. But, uh, so you liked the cinnamon toast? We did, yeah. <laughs> their rye bread was good, too. We used to have... Um, like smoked salmon with little cream cheese on there. Mm. It was like a smaller loaf, like a, mm-hmm. a t- almost like a cracker size on a yes. rye bread. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. Yes, yeah, it, it was really good. <laughs> we missed the home bakery. I know. I know. And, and then when I drive by it all the time, I wish something could go in there. Well, there is something going in. That's what caused okay. the, the, oh, that. We talked about it. But it do would, we know what's going in? Yeah, some apartments. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's Yeah, it's, it's an amazing number of apartments I never would have guessed, but it uh, went before the Historic Landmarks Commission. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. and it sounds like it, there used to be so, apartments there. I yeah. mean, there were two. Upstairs. Two, two upstairs apartments. <laughs> Which is no longer there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the other thing we talked about just recently, I can't remember how long ago, but... Uh, on the this day in history, yeah, there was um, toothbrushes being invented, mm. and being the yes. troublemaker that you are, you said <laughs> when was toothpaste? Or actually, no, it was our guests said, yeah. but when was toothpaste invented? And I didn't know. And we don't like to just like grab our phones and look it up while we're yes. while we're creating this you, broadcast. Magic. And when you look on your phone, you might not be exactly. finding the correct exactly. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste while okay. we get time left here. So toothbrushes and toothpaste are essential oral care items if you can pick up um, at so many stores. But where did they come from? Of course, they haven't always looked like toothbrushes we have today. Learn the history of toothpaste and toothbrushes and how to make sure you're choosing the toothbrush you need. So back, or we're going to start with the world's first toothbrushes. And most historians agree ancient Babylonians and Egyptians created the first toothbrushes from frayed twigs between 3500 and 3000 BC. We know this because ancient Egyptians meticulously preserved items in their tombs, including these, quote, chew sticks. (laughs) Uh, The Chinese are believed to have invented the first natural bristle toothbrush in the 1400s, using pig's hair for the bristles and bone or bamboo for the handles. These toothbrushes were taken to Europe, and this design was adapted to use horsehair, which many Europeans preferred. Other models in Europe used feathers. These ancient tools were not as cleanly as modern toothbrushes. Okay, feathers. That doesn't seem like it would help. It's interesting. There's even a line that says these, these ancient tools were not as cleanly. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Here's a news flash. Breaking news. Pig hair. <laughs> See, that, and that was what we were reading something about the Chinese and the, the pig hair. Yes. That, so that's what caused this whole discussion. It's all coming back to you. <laughs> yes. So William Addis. Mm-hmm. Uh, designed the more modern toothbrush in England around 1780. The handle was carved from cattle bone, and the brush portion was made from pig's hair as well. In 1844, the first three-row bristle brush was designed. According to the Library of Congress, natural bristles made from animal hair were still used until DuPont de Nemours invented nylon. Hmm. 
Nylon started the development of the modern toothbrush in 1938. By the 1950s, softer nylon bristles were created, and people preferred these for toothbrushes. The first electric toothbrush was made in 1939, and the first electric toothbrush widely used in the U.S. was invented in 1960. So that's interesting. One year apart. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So the modern toothbrush, 1938, and it took them one year to make it electric. So this is how stupid I am. If you'd asked me before reading this, what are toothbrush bristles made out of? I don't right. know that I would have said nylon. That's true. Plastic, I guess. Is yeah. I don't, I don't know what I would have thought. Yeah. I would have been like stunned silent. Yeah. <laughs> saying, uh, I don't know. Well, now we know. So today, both manual and electric toothbrushes come in many shapes and sizes. They are typically made of plastic molded handles and nylon bristles. Now, dentists and dentistry researchers can test what kind of toothbrushes are best for oral health. The most recent toothbrush models include handles that are straight, angled, curved, and contoured with grips, and soft rubber areas to make them easy to hold and use. And my kids have ones that sing to you. Oh, no. Even the, my uh, little one likes the baby shark one. And it sings baby shark. Baby shark. That's going to be in your head while you brush your teeth. Okay. See, I, I'm appalled at that at first. <laughs> but then I think, well, that's a good way to teach how long I should how brush long? my teeth. Yep. And so, so when the song sense. ends, toothbrushing time is done. So there you go. So we I'll can get darn. you one too. Maybe. So the American Dental Association recommends soft bristle brushes. Smaller head toothbrushes can better reach all areas of the mouth, including hard to reach back teeth, but that may depend on the size of your mouth. The best toothbrush grips are the ones that are the most comfortable for you to hold. And replace your toothbrush every three months or when it starts to show some wear, whichever comes first. So I had a, uh, a not a friend in the museum business, a rival in the museum business <laughs> years ago. And for some reason, at some museum meeting of like all the museums in town, he announced that he had two toothbrushes, one that he used in the morning and one that he used in the evening, so he would double the length of how long he had his toothbrush. And then we weren't being mean girls, but we all kind of laughed about, well, you're not really because yeah. you have two toothbrushes. It's the same. <laughs> and, and we were all perplexed, and he was so proud of this fact. Oh my it, was, it was very strange. <laughs> uh, besides the materials, the basic design has not changed since the times of the Egyptians and the Babylonians. All toothbrushes include a handle and a bristle-like head to clean the teeth. The toothbrush has evolved over its long history to become a scientifically designed tool using modern ergonomic designs and safe and hygienic materials that benefit us all. So toothpaste, here it comes. All right. Like toothbrushes, Egyptians used a paste to clean their teeth around 5000 BC, even before toothbrushes were invented. Ancient Greeks and Romans also are also known to have used toothpaste, and people in China and India used toothpaste around 500 BC as well. <laughs> Ancient toothpaste was used to whiten teeth, freshen breath, and clean teeth and gums as we use it today. However, the materials were more abrasive and not as hygienic. Some ingredients of ancient toothpaste include grounded up ox hooves, ashes, burnt eggshells, and pumice. Ancient China used a wide variety of toothpaste ingredients over time, such as ginseng, herbal mints, and salt. Ancient Greeks and Romans toothpaste ingredients included crushed bones, oyster shells, charcoal, and tree bark. Okay, so what, what this bounces into my head at this point how do you learn that ox hooves ashes? Ugh. I mean, how did you how did you zero in on that? Did you try horse hooves ashes? Did you try 
Well, then they went with burnt eggshells and pumice, so everything yeah. is burnt. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just Ooh. charcoal or ashes would make sense, but the fact that they specify ox hooves. Yeah. And I, I like, it's the Chinese here, that herbal mints. Yep. See, that's the first line in this whole thing that suddenly sounds okay. Yep. <laughs> and we haven't changed from that, right? I mean, that's the popular toothpaste flavor. So the development of the kind of toothpaste we're used to began in the 1800s. Once again, I'm glad I live today. <laughs> I am too, Frank. Aren't you? Yes. This is what always makes me laugh in the Flavel house when people come in and they're like, oh, I would have loved to live in this time. Oh. And I'm like, really? Modern medical science. Right. Childbirth. <laughs> really? Well, in dental disease, I mean, people Den died, I mean, very, very frequently from sore teeth, right? Or, yeah. or infections that, that came in their oh, mouth. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nightmare. Yeah. Nice time periods to visit. Right. But don't want to live in them. All right. Sorry about that little side. Uh, anyway, development kind of toothpaste were used to begin in the 1800s. Before the 1850s, toothpaste was a powder. Early versions in the 1850s contained soap or chalk. Betel nut was included in toothpaste in England around the 1800s as well. Later in the 1860s, some homemade toothpaste used ground charcoal similar to ancient Greek versions. In 1873, Colgate started the mass production of toothpaste in jars. Hmm. Colgate introduced its toothpaste in a tube similar to modern-day toothpaste tubes in the 1890s. Uh, by 1900, a paste made of hydrogen peroxide and baking soda was recommended for use with toothbrushes. Premixed toothpastes were first marketed in the 19th century, but did not surpass the popularity of tooth powder until World War I. Together with Willoughby D. Miller, Newell Sill Jenkins developed the first toothpaste containing disinfectants, branded as colinos. The name is a combination of two Greek words meaning beautifier and disease preventer. I like that. That's, yeah, that is good. Uh, numerous attempts to produce the toothpaste by pharmacists in Europe proved uneconomic. After returning to the U.S., he continued experimenting with Harry Ward Foote, professor of chemistry at Sheffield Chemical Laboratory of Yale University. After 17 years of development of colinos and clinical trials, Jenkins retired and transferred the production and distribution to his son, Leonard A. Jenkins, who brought the first toothpaste tubes on the market on April 13, 1908. Within a few years, the company expanded in North America, Latin America, Europe, and the Far East. A branch operation opened in London in 1909, and in 1937, Colinos was produced in 22 countries and sold in 88 countries. Colinos has been sold mainly in South America and Hungary. Colgate Palmolive took over the production of American home products in 1995 at a cost of $1 billion U.S. dollars. Okay, so I don't know if we discussed that. I, th I think we might have had this as the follow-up discussion. Have you ever used um, toothpaste powder? I haven't. See, I know I, we discussed that. I have. I, I remember like as a kid. I don't know if we bought it as a gag, but Colgate, it was in like this metal tin. So we're talking, you know, 45 years ago now. <laughs> but it was in a metal tin and you had to like sprinkle it onto the, the wet um, toothbrush. Okay, so and you it mix was, it with water? Or? Well, no, you'd oh, have to. You'd is it just kinda, abrasive? Kinda like, yeah, you had to like pour it, oh. and it was just powder that would come on, fall on top of the, the toothbrush. Interesting. And then it was all, the toothbrush was kind of wet to give a little bit of moisture, and then you just like scraped it onto your teeth. And I, I remember like it felt very gritty to me. Right. So I did not like it. I can't remember why. I don't remember it like often. It was just this one time thing. That you had it. Yeah. So I don't know like what conversation, if it was my parents going, oh yeah, when we were kids yeah. or what the deal was. So through 1945, toothpaste contained soap. 
uh, after 1945, toothpaste manufacturers replaced soap with other ingredients to make toothpaste, a smoother paste with ingredients found in present-day toothpaste. With the advancements of dentistry and research in the later 20th century, modern toothpaste was developed to prevent or treat specific diseases and conditions such as toothpaste, tooth sensitivity, and tooth decay. Manufacturers created fluoride toothpaste to help prevent corrosion in 1914, and manufacturers and dentists realized abrasive toothpaste ingredients could wear away or damage enamel, so toothpaste with very low abrasiveness were also developed. Toothpaste today typically contains fluoride, <laughs> coloring, flavoring, sweetener, and ingredients that make the toothpaste smooth foam uh, and stay moist. Some of my favorite things. <laughs> Fluoride, coloring, flavoring, yeah, sweetener, right. <laughs> and ingredients that make the toothpaste smooth. Uh, storing toothpaste in tubes is used throughout the world now. It's hard to believe toothbrushes and toothpaste started with such ingredients as hair and bone. Modern toothbrushes and kinds of toothpaste provide a technological advantage in design to clean hard-to-reach areas and the proper ingredients to help you improve your oral hygiene now. So the, the one thing we didn't really talk about, in 1880, Dr. Washington Sheffield of New London, Connecticut, manufactured toothpaste into a collapsible tube. Oh, interesting. So thank you, Dr. Sheffield. Dr. Sheffield's creme d'entrefice. <laughs> I'm probably not saying that right probably either. Probably not. He had the idea after his son traveled to Paris and saw painters using paint from tubes in York in 1896. Colgate & Company Dental Cream was packaged in collapsible tubes imitating uh, Sheffield's. The original collapsible toothpaste tubes were made of lead. So what we've <laughs> learned really is, I mean, it has changed, but it hasn't. Yeah. From like, I mean, a long time ago. And, you know, the one thing I'm going to say that annoys me about toothpaste is, <laughs> is you know, especially with little kids, it mm. gets everywhere. Yes. Like, why can't it just squirt out the same amount, like one little dollop, size on your toothpaste or toothbrush every single time. Okay. You know what that just made me think of? Have you ever had like the, I can't remember the name of the candy, but it was on little hard dots on a strip of paper, like six or four wide and like peeled it off. I did not. That's what we should. Oh, you're making me feel old. That's what we should do. Little dots of, of, of toothpaste toothpaste that you like peel off and put on the, on the toothbrush. It just seems like, you know, there's, <laughs> we, you talk about people that you live with. So there's the people mm -hmm. that have the, the toothbrush paste that's like mm -hmm. you know squished all along or the person that rolls it up so in my home we each have our own toothpaste tube because i can't stand the way that everybody else uses their toothpaste same brand or different brands as well different brands yeah well because my girls like the bubble gum which i oh, think is yeah, disgusting. That's disgusting yeah Awful. Kids are disgusting. Yeah. So they don't, they don't know any better see okay i, I am all for you need to roll the toothpaste mm -hmm. the tube but I don't start rolling until it's half empty. Oh, okay. And that kind of drives some of the other people in my house crazy. Yeah. But I'm like, well, I'm going to, I have to squeeze it anyway. So why start to roll it when it's still almost full? Again, I, I feel like that we should move on in our technology of toothpaste tubes. <laughs> but I like things that they suddenly, like you look at something and it occurs to you. So the guy's looking at the, the paint. Right. In, yeah. In these he's tubes. Like, and he's like, why oh, not? Yeah, that should be us. That should be us. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. So I can give one little plug. So All Providence right. does have a great um, uh, program that's called Providence Healthy Smiles. Yes. And it's basically children's dental education that we provide through a coordinator. And this was originally funded through a grant, the Oregon Community Foundation, um, years ago. And, and Providence has continued to, to fund the program. 
And what we do is we get, are able to send this coordinator into the local schools and provide dental education at a very young age that's age specific. So kindergarten through middle school is what we do. And then we also work with the state of Oregon because the state of Oregon actually sends hygienists out here to our area because we're in a rural setting um, to do dental sealants for kids. And so we do all of the coordination for that. So a huge program that um, we took on years ago. And it's been great because, again, being in this rural area, we were finding that dental disease and caries at, at children's age was... Uh, one of the highest in the state. So great program. Um, and also my last little plug is you can take your child to the dentist as early as six months old, mm -hmm. truly, um, if they have dental insur insurance. And if you don't have dental insurance for your child at that young age, you can ask your dentist's office and they will likely encourage you to do that six months. And then every six months that you go, continue to bring your kid too, so that they're just always going and somebody's always having a look inside their mouth. So healthy yeah. teeth, so yeah. you can eat wonderful baked goods, unfortunately not from home bakery. Yes, there's a little plug. <laughs> <laughs> Go make some history. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN. 